podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, Gavin. Thank you for your time. Um, I really appreciate uh, your honesty in all the conversations in online. We had a few interactions. We not always agree on things. But what, right. I, what I appreciate is your um, honesty and uh, always a civilized conversation, which is rare online now. How are you doing today? <laughs> Today's a good day, Les. Today is a good day. I've said repeatedly, it's sort of, I've moved, genuinely moved to living one day at a time. Mm. And today's a good day. Um, could you take us through the, your um, martial art background? I know that you are in heavily invested in Goju Ryu, but yeah. you had the first um, experience with martial arts was more, more of a army style training, wasn't it? Yes. So, so uh, I'm from Belfast originally, from Northern Irish family. Got four brothers, and uh, my dad was teaching. He was in the military, and he was teaching unarmed combat and Northern Ireland so this was around the 60s and Northern Ireland was starting to heat up again shall we say and um, so right up the top end of, of Ireland where I was born a place called Limavady he he was teaching a, 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 got a sort of a, a kind of military civilian crossover thing going mainly judo mixed with the military uh, unarmed combat and that also had Catholics and Protestants training at the same time, which, which doesn't mean much in England, but it means a big deal at that time in Northern Ireland. So we were children, of course, but we were sort of along watching that and doing that. So we also moved around a lot, military family moved around a lot. And with four boys, um, my dad thought it was important that we knew how to fight because we were, were going to get into trouble moving schools. It's just the way it is. And, and we did. And so... Um, so I trained really from probably about four years old. I, d I genuinely don't remember a time when I wasn't training. <laughs> uh, and then and then I got into Goju around the late 70s, early 80s. I saw a demo by, by two Goju guys, um, Kim Roberts and Dave Arnold. I think it was on the Isle of Wight, although I talked to Dave about it a while ago, and our memories mm -hmm. differ on it, as they do. <laughs> but I do remember them watching this demo and... I was kind of fascinated by the violence of it. And then there was this bit where Kim was going to break a chair over Dave or swing a chair at him, but they got the timing wrong and Kim actually hit him with it. And Dave just went mental. And they just, they just had this big scrap at a school fate. And um, I thought it was fantastic. So I went over to talk to Kim was the one. Kim was the more dynamic of the two. Dave was a bull of a man, still is. An old pugilist, very, very tough guy. I went to talk to Kim because Kim was in teaching in Southampton at the time and, and I, I went up to him and said something about I'd like to do it and he just looked me up and down and walked off. <laughs> Didn't answer. <laughs> yeah and, and I was sort of left there and Dave came over and said don't mind him he's a grumpy old sod type thing and I had a chat with Dave and ended up going to um, sorry, going to see Kim club and I joined there and I, I was hooked. And you say I'm heavily invested in Goju, and, and it's true, but I've never, I don't now, I never have considered myself a Goju guy. Mm -hmm. I I've just haven't found anything that isn't inherently in Goju. To me, Goju sort of sits at the center of the spoked wheel, you know, if you want to, because it's got everything in it, Goju. We, we're very lucky in Okinawa and the Okinawan styles, and particularly in Goju, that it retained all its it's grappling and it's ground fighting is still intact, whereas that got stripped out when it went to Japan. Mm -hmm. So we retained all that. But, you know, are we as good on the ground as BJJ? No, because for every, every one hour we spend doing it, they do eight. But the mm -hmm. principle is that we wouldn't fight them on the ground. You fight them stand up. Are, are we as good kind of aerial kickers as Taekwondo? Of course not. But we, we don't really do that. But that's, that's the point that you reach a stage in your training if you need to sort of hone those skills up, judo, say, say the throws, all the throws we do, we're not going to be as good as judo at throwing because, again, we do one hour, they do eight. Mm -hmm. But it's there when you want it. You know, you can go and find those specialists that have it. And Goju kind of sits in the middle. So it's a strength and a weakness, sort of master of, you know, jack of all trades type style. But, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page, although I'm coming from Kyokushin, which is kind of, sort of loosely related to Goju. Yeah. Um, 
Padina, our main thing is to um, get out on the floor and stand up. I like throwing because I've been exposed to to wrestling. Yeah. But I think that's that's for the karate is for, right? To get out of there. So you need to have a knowledge of all all the levels enough so you can get out of it. Yeah, exactly. Because the, the, the way people think is that if you're if you're a really good stand up fighter, then you should stand up against someone but it's not that that you're looking for you're looking for the differential because we've got a good contacts with the kyokushin we've had a few people fighting the knockdown and and we've got some of the some of the um kyokushin come over regularly and visit visit us and then and their, their stand-up is amazing i absolutely love it and um but the point is if you're if you're this level say stand up and this level grappling you're looking for the biggest differential in your opponent so if their kumite is here, but their grappling's right on the ground, then you'll take your weaker one to beat them with. You're looking for where is the biggest differential? Can I fight this guy on the ground or do I fight them stand up? And you're looking not for your strength, but for their weakness, to do the opposite of their weakness. Yeah. Um, uh, as you said, you've got people with Kokushin. It, it's quite... When I look at your Goju, I was thinking, especially your 30-man kumite and stuff like that, I'm thinking... This is not very traditional goju because um, you, I think, incorporated so many different approaches um, that I see that the knockdown. I don't see that in every, any other group of goju. Um, how did you come up to incorporating? I, I would that? argue that you do. You don't see it in Higona's goju, which has become mainstream. I think okay. if you look at some of the smaller clubs that are in goju, the thing with goju, its real strength is our difference. Goju isn't a style like sort of, you know, we don't have 17 wrist locks, three kicks, three, it's not like that. It's, an, it's a philosophy of hard, soft training and hard, yeah. soft conditioning, which isn't unique to Goju. Hard, soft, you know, you walk using hard and soft. Yeah. Um, but it's instilled in the, the hard first. Go means hard, Ju is the same Ju as Judo. Jiu-Jitsu means soft, so hard first. So hard training to build the body and mind before you get into the softer skills. But all of my Goju instructors... Kim Roberts, mainly Kim Roberts, um, Nick Hughes, Steve Morris, all grappled, all fought like this. The original Goju fighters that came back here, if you look at kind of um, Gary Spears, um, you know, Dave Morris, they didn't fight in that. They all, they're fighters. They have movement. And mm -hmm. there is something about what's become traditional karate that makes people stiff and unable to fight. That's not how you fight. And because they're missing the link that those are supposed to, the fight is always going to look the same. The fight looks the same. All a style is, is a difference of opinion, how to teach that. So when we took it into the cage, people were saying, that doesn't look like karate. I'm like, well, what is it you want to see? And of course they want to see a, like a reverse punch, which isn't a punch, it's a trigger. You're training the, the trigger, the mitetic reflex in your shoulder, boom, to get the acceleration. Because acceleration is more in the, in the power, um, uh, dimension, you know, it's it's mass times acceleration squared, and that square is important because that means that acceleration. If you double your acceleration, you're going to quadruple your impact. If you yeah. double your mass, you're only going to double it. So speed is more important. So what people took to be a sort of karate punch isn't a punch. It can be used as one, but it's really training the trigger, and that trigger is in all your punches. So you throw your shot in, you know, in the dojo, you put your hand back. Outside, you throw your body forward. That gets the stretch reflex. That accelerates it into someone's head. And, mm. and so it's, that's been, that. That's um. So I personally, I think what we do, and I 100% believe this, is traditional gojuru. And I think what I see out there looks much more like shotokan in a lot of people, yeah. and a lot more of a, a kind of stylized militaristic view of it. So for me, I. Tradition to me, the tradition of karate is efficiency and effectiveness. That's the tradition. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would call traditional karate is, is a system that, that seeks efficiency and, and, and that works in a real world setting. The people that are trying to replicate what someone did 100 years ago with no change to it, I would call that classical karate. Mm -hmm. And I would liken that to a kind of reenactment group. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. But I liken that to the people that get dressed up in Civil War uniforms and go and, you know, go and out. And they have a brilliant time. You know, I'd, I'd love yeah. to do that myself. But, you know, they're not pretend they don't. The difference is they don't think they could go into a, a modern battle and win using pikes and staffs. Yeah. But 
But to get to your point, you know, where, where, where the pool comes in, it's, it is a seek, uh, it is to seek this efficiency. Now, go, now with Goju, all, all the Goju I've seen, the, 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 the down grades have different functions. They have deliberate different functions. And your second down is your main fighting grade. Mm-hmm. Now, putting the 30 man around it was just a way of having a standard that everyone had to do rather than just everyone fights for two hours and, and it depends mm-hmm. who you fight, et cetera, et cetera. It was just a way of solidifying it and having a, a way of training because when I was going up through the grades, the truth is we weren't told what the syllabus was. We didn't know what we were going to be tested on. We didn't know when we were going to be tested. And while that does bring a, a kind of fear of its own, that fear is very short-lived. Whereas if you declare you're going to do the 30-man in eight months time that fear is eight months mm-hmm. and that's where the strength comes from that's the fire that forges it it's the preparing for it and i think this is why i don't have any problem failing people because i'm not surprising with the grading we've said to them when you show up it's 100 press-ups the first thing you do 100 press-ups so if you can't do them you're out that's not my fault you were mm-hmm. told <laughs> point. um yeah but I, I think people from um kind of I'm going to use again traditional or classical arts who are not kind of in that frame of uh, what you're doing. Um, don't realize how taxing on the body is the 30-man kumite uh, yeah. in a non-down style and how mm-hmm. much you have to overcome mentally to actually withstand that, those 30 fresh people trying to demolish your body. Because when you're fighting with your with the head contact, you're not really putting 100% to kill person. Uh, right. to destroy the body, right? Because it's not safe and right. we all want to go to the jobs and stuff. Um, so how, how was your experience and your students with um, being immersed in that uh, heavy taxing fighting just to the body? So the way it works is that they have, for the 30 men specifically, is they have to declare their intent, like Cortez burning his boats when he went to the new world so he couldn't return. They have to stand up at winter camp and say, I'm going to do the 30 men. So that's to put pressure on them not to back out because they've declared it in front of everyone. And then they spend basically that year, they'd spend just training specifically for this one event. And it, it breaks people. It does. And it's supposed to. Um, the, the, there is a big question because we don't punch in the head. We kicks our allows there, but not punches. And there, there's, a, there's a big debate. And there is a good criticism against that. Now, there's a genuine criticism. I understand it. The reason we don't do it is that we know it's really, really, really bad for you. And the martial arts are not set up to be really, really bad for you. Um, and so it was one of the reasons when we went into the cage, that was a question that he's addressing. Would our guys be able to, A, defend their head, and B, would they be able to switch their target and hit in the head? And it was absolutely no problem at all. You know, of our first mm-hmm. 20 professional fights, it was 16 wins, most by knockout. It just... Because because the more difficult thing is that why well, I hate those little sort of stupid little punches to the head that aren't punches at all. You either have to punch it or you don't. Because me sort of just going like this, you should react like that look of contempt you're giving me now. That's what I want from you because I don't I don't want to teach you to react to something that's not dangerous, and I don't want to teach me to punch wrong. So you get that thing where oh I could have got you like it's a tag. That's not a punch because I can throw my hand up really fast and and reach you. But you can re- you'd react to the load, and I want you to see when you're in danger by the load. So trying to get in close to someone and hit hard to the body, it was easy, and is easy to change target when you need to. And I know people always say, "Yeah, but you train, you you fight like you train." That's only true to a degree. You know, you drive like you drive until there's roadworks, and then you find a different route. You know, it wasn't a problem, and it could have been, but it wasn't. But it does mean you have to be intelligent to train in karate, and I believe this because because you're not punching me in the head but you're punching me in the body. For example, the beginners fight like this, you know, because they don't want to get hit in the body, they're tucked up. You've got to fight and tell you, you've got to fight as if you're going to get punched in the head mm-hmm. while you're not, and that's why kicks are allowed, of course, to keep those those hands up. But you've got to have your hands up as if you're going to get hit in the head. Mm-hmm. So you need to really be very conscious of the way you're fighting. I'm very true. Uh, I, I've, I've, I switched from knockdown, so my first initial uh, encounter in karate was knockdown karate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found it difficult because we never been taught to, you know, you need to keep your hands up, just right. uh, catch, catch the kick, right? Yes. But now when I uh, switched to uh, more kind of um, light contact to the head, um, those hands automatically going up. And, and yeah. I think I still prefer to keep it low because I can keep maintain uh, the longer distance. 
Um, which brings me to the distance and yeah, and and uh, and the fighting. What did take you into a cage? Why did you decide to go and just purely for testing or primarily? Yes. Um, See, so, uh, <coughs> I've been doing it a long time. So the I was actually in the cage, not fighting, but I was in the cage at UFC three or four, I think it was. I was over there training with Nick Hughes, and, and he said, oh, there's a tournament on. Let's go and have a look. Um, but that format is not new. That format was not – it's been repackaged, but people have been fighting without rules for longer than they've been fighting with rules, mm -hmm. right? And Valet Today and No Laws. And around the early 90s, we were doing something called MFS, Modern Fighting Systems, which was fighting without just, you know, fight, just the fighting aspect of it. There was a lot and lot of people – playing around with those rules in the early 90s and the UFC came up with and, and Gracie Jitsu came up with the, the format that everyone kind of in the end bought into but a lot of people were fighting like that mm -hmm. and a lot of people were had always have been and still are you know MMA as it's called now is it's nothing new at all it's mm -hmm. been done for centuries but so, so, so for a while, everyone would always say, there's always a zeitgeist. There's always a, a, a one of the martial arts that's the popular one. Right? And mm -hmm. for ages, everyone would be saying, oh, yeah, but does it work in the street? Does it work in the street? And then that switched around time. Does it work in the cage? Mm -hmm. And that's the only one I didn't have an answer to because I've done, I was on the door for 15 years. And so, and lots of people, at one time, to get a black belt, you had to do six months on the door with DKK, but we were much smaller then. But that doesn't, mm -hmm. we don't do that anymore. So the answer, does it work on the street? Absolutely, yes, we knew that. Does it work on the match? Yes. Like I said, we fought in knockdown with the Kokushin. We fought in many, many forms, and yeah, it works in all those, but didn't have the answer to does it work in the car. I knew the answer to it, but we didn't have it. And then we had a couple of people, because that's the testing ground. That's the modern testing ground. And a few people came around of our guys. They wanted to fight in the cage. So I said, okay, well, let's, we'll, we'll prepare up it, mainly Neil Grove pair up and, and, and do that and see and um our record even now is is better than most mma clubs you know we took the heavyweight british title held it for four years we took a middleweight title took a light heavy no welterweight title took you know um linton vassal who was the bellator light heavyweight champion for a long time one of his only three losses is to one of our orange belts you know it's you know we did phenomenally well and 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 it wasn't about changing anything it was just yeah obviously we trained more on the on the that one-on-one -on -one. Mm -hmm. but we didn't really we had to drop stuff out of training yeah sure uh and and there was a little bit of proving it crisis got a really bad name which doesn't really bother me it keeps the assholes away i think like i said there's always a the zeitgeist one and I, mma is there now i would say in that you know you know, upwards of 60% of the people, MMA fighters, don't want to fight. They want to go to an MMA club and say they do MMA. That's oh, all. yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and you always end up there, and then something else will take over. You know, previous to that, it was the ones that thought they were military. It was the Krav Maga and the, you know, the ones that you know, training combat trousers. That, that mm. sort of zeitgeist went through, and before that, it was kickboxing. Before that, it was karate, kung fu, and all that. There's always a way. Um, but we did, there was an element of, taking karate into that because they hated it they never would announce us as karate we had gi tops on belts never would they say that from fight one they said background in mma they would not announce us as karate why would we why do you think that that that's going on i think because because they, they it was a move all of that was a movement primarily to promote the early ones to promote gracie jiu-jitsu and bjj mm -hmm. It then shifted because the only mixed martial arts, you know, I would argue it's not mixed, it's not martial, and it's not an art anymore. But the early ones, it was pitching fighter against fighter. So you'd have a sumo guy against a sambo guy or something like that. You know, the fight was mixed. Now the impression is that the fighter is mixed, mm -hmm. i.e. they're doing bits of everything. And which is true, which makes it interesting to do and boring to watch. Because when they stand up, they're not as good as boxers. And when it hits the ground, they're not as good as wrestlers. You know, it's, it's the same criticism I leveled against ourselves. Go to, you know, it's this middle point. So you don't, you're not selling at anything. You have this middle point. Um, and so by putting karate in there, we wanted to test it in that ground. But also, and I've said this to people before, because 
because we did, and I eventually just got bored of it. I'll be honest. We came out because I got bored of it. And but because we've done it, that means that not not everybody has to go and test themselves in there. We tested karate's training mechanism so other people don't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, you you, not everyone has to test everything, right? We went in there, tested it. As far as I'm concerned, proved everything we needed to prove. It was probably in there five years too long, to be honest. And but. Um, you know, so other people don't have to test it because we test that because you've got to continually test what you're doing. It needs testing. It mm-hmm. everything needs. They talk about pressure testing. I don't know what the pressure bit. Just testing. Mm-hmm. You know, it needs to be refreshed every now and then, and to make sure that what you're teaching is relevant. You know, and we we learned a lot of stuff, and there were tweaks to the techniques that we've done because it's been refreshed against new blood. Mm-hmm. And that's important, but they're not new techniques. There's no, there hasn't been a new technique in probably ten thousand years. They're the old techniques, but and you've got to remember that in in karate, a lot of stuff is codified. You now there is hidden stuff in the kata that needs breaking down. But it's you're supposed to take it out and break it down, not just do the kata. The kata mm-hmm. is a, a training guide, not not the training in itself. For sure, uh, you mentioned something which. Uh, actually uh, spark the interest how would you ar- arrange a working on the door for your students because well, uh, you know i'm a tiny guy i don't really fancy being on the door because i yeah. know i have to you know do something and i'm not that comfortable with the, you know i've got very big nose and i don't like it to be <laughs> that way <laughs> yeah like <laughs> keep would, it straight yeah how would you arrange that it, you own your own company, or, or how does that work? Well, we, uh, Dan Lewis, who runs the DK Go with me, yes, we had Armasec running. He, he sort of headed up Armasec, so we had our own security company there. We had access to some really sort of relatively, you know, not relatively. I mean, you can get in trouble wherever you stand there, but relatively, I would say, easy doors. You know, it wasn't necessarily East End pubs, although we had those two. And, and so I knew a lot of doormen. I knew a lot of things, and they would give people a chance. And... And also because of the training, they did know that our guys would be capable before I put them. You know, I wouldn't just take someone that was going to get seriously hurt and, and put them on a door. But, but you know, I don't even agree with that as a policy anymore. You know, it was, a, it was a space and time and it worked well for a while. But, you know, I wouldn't do it now, nor do I think it's necessary for people, everyone to have done that. Um it's along that, you know, the old argument, do you need to have done it to teach it? And, and I I don't think so. You know, I'm on the side that you don't, but you do need to be very close to people that have. Mm. You know, like the military, it's the same. You know, not they haven't all been to war, but you've got to be fairly close to someone that has. Yeah, that's true. So you can learn from the experience and hear it from first, yeah. first line. Yeah, back to saying, otherwise you start from zero every time. So if everybody has to do everything again themselves... Nobody's ever going to learn. You're not going to progress. You know, if, if I've got a certain amount of knowledge, which I'll pass on to you, whether you've done it or not, you've, you're supposed to take it further than I did. You know, if you're younger than me and I'll, I've taught you up to a level, you're supposed to take that and do more with it, not less. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other question that comes up, because, uh, you know, I'm uh, kind of pro-sporting and as a testing ground, um, but I've got... Um, quite a lot of pushback from the, again, traditional uh, martial artists that, you know, oh, you can't do this in sport, you can't do that. What's your take on it? Did you have, did you have the pushback that you're doing MMA and stuff like that? <laughs> no, no, not really, no. No, um, we didn't. Um, we, we do, there's people that, that do, you know, I'm sure there's people that look at us and say, I've had people just say we're just brutal and that's not, you know, that's not how it should be done. But that, like I said, it's a, it's a change of opinion about how to do it. So I think tournament is a good testing ground, as you've said. You, you know, so, so someone that says you shouldn't do any of it, okay, that's fair enough. What, how do you test it? Hmm. So you, you can't just take stuff out. You've got to replace it, right? So say we take, take bunny hops or some, some exercise that's been proven to be bad. Mm-hmm. You can't just take it out. You've got to figure out what it was trying to do, what, what it was trying to strengthen. Was it actually a physical or a mental exercise and replace it with something? And if you say you don't do tournament, fair enough, absolutely fair enough. How do you test your guys? How do you, where is your test? Um, and all, all tournament has its flaws. 
you know, in terms of an actual fight. But even an actual fight between two men is actually usually stylized. Mm. You know, say if we got into an argument and, and we go outside and I punch you in the face, I'm doing you a favor. That's, 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 that's almost the kindest thing I can do because I'm not sticking my thumb in gouging your eyes out. Yeah. You know, so people don't realize that they're fighting in a ritualistic way by using fists, but they are. It's a, it's a sort of mammalian kind of chest beating. Cause, and that's why when women fight, they fight more rarely, but they're actually far, they fight far better for the weapons we've been given because they're actually fighting. Whereas men usually are fighting out of a ritual. And the occasional man that fights like a woman, teeth and claw, is quite light, rightly labeled a complete psychopath because they're ripping, you know, they're biting people's noses off and ripping their ears off using teeth and claw. Whereas to use a blunt instrument is a, is a sort of stylized way. So I, I think tournament is a really good idea. We have two, we do two a year that we have. And then, you know, mostly if you want to do tournament, I would say fight the cage. But we do have a couple that are not that, that, that level. And I think it's important because it does teach you, it's different. So it doesn't matter how, how hard your fighting is, sparring is, I, I, people confuse the two, but sparring in the, in the dojo with people you know is a different thing. Sparring and a grading is a different thing. It's only really in tournament where you're facing someone who's not completely knackered that wants mm -hmm. to beat you. Yeah. You know, when, think... you, when, when you fight hard in the club, you're not actually trying to beat someone. You're, you know, where you sort of are, but you're not really. Well, you try to improve both, right? So yes. If you're a sparring partner, you, you, you kind of yeah. so, to grow. Yes. So the value to me of tournament is facing fear. And that's a big deal. That's a big, the, the, to me, that's the biggest, probably the biggest definition of a martial artist and a martial art is facing fear. And the tournament does that. You know, I, I was talking to someone recently talking about how I remember throwing up, you know, physically vomiting before a fight, but mm. still getting up and fighting. Yeah, I, I find you know I, I don't have a um, experience in being on the on the doors and stuff like that. I had a couple of uh, alternation back in Poland when I was seventeen, eighteen, and to be honest, stepping into the mats for me it was the exactly same adrenaline rush. So for me, mm. being in a um, environment of a sporting gives me the closest I can get to real fight in terms of fear, like you said, not not uh, yeah. skills, but just that feeling that this guy or that girl gonna be trying to really kill me not just play with me in a, in a dojo like you said so, yeah yeah it's why I, I personally i hate that kind of bjj fist bump slap before you roll and i know it fits with bjj uh, and its ethos which is has that but people start doing it in the dojo <laughs> i don't do that here you know people start doing it because it what it's trying to do is it's sort of saying you know we're just this is just a bit fun don't worry whereas mm -hmm. i don't want that i want i want that intensity where you where you bow into someone and think, you know, they could be in your friend and you're like, fuck, what's it, what have I said? What have I done? Why is this? Uh, so, like I said, Goju is a, a full contact system, but we don't fight full contact all the time. And I say to our guys, if two of you arrive and you're pissed off and had a shitty day at work, go for it. It's mm -hmm. up to you. You know, but also, we, we talk about fear. I also think that th there has to be fear present in a dojo. And, and, and I say to all of, our, all, all of our members, at some point, should walk down the stairs and think, no, I can't, I can't do it today. Or, or be at work and think, no, I can't. That should be present. If it's not, I don't think the train's hard enough. Everyone should, I'm not talking about scared stiff all the time, but mm. occasionally just think, oh, I can't do it. That's good. That's healthy. I, I, think, I think I disagree with you about that, but... I've got, the, I think, different clients because for me, it's all about the safety and feeling welcome and non-judged. <laughs> yeah. See, that's people. quite interesting. And I did think it was interesting when, when I agreed to do this with you because we do disagree on stuff. I know we do. And um, But I, the stuff we disagreed off, I can see your logic. It's not, I don't think, you know, I can always see the logic in it and it makes sense. And it, might, it entirely makes sense on your, who your student base is. You know, because I, I think there is, I mean, I don't teach children, but I'm, I don't, it's not a philosophical thing. I think it's great that children are taught, and, it, and it's, if anything, it's hypocritical, because I was taught as a child. I just don't want to do it. But it's brilliant for, it's a brilliant way to bring kids up. It's, it's excellent. I'm really glad other people do it, and then they can graduate, and they can come to me when they're 18. That sort of thing is, is really good. And um, 
Yeah, it depends very much. You know, if, if you're catchment based, like the people where you live around are, are all elderly or something, they should still be taught and it's still karate, it's still martial arts, it's still useful. So it's not that, when I say how I train and teach and my beliefs, it's not necessarily, I don't necessarily put those beliefs on every other club and think because they're not doing that, they're not right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do, like I said, I respect the conversation with you because it always puts different, you know, I really like, I, I believe we're sitting in a bubble, right? And you can only see things within your bubble and you need people from the outside of the bubble coming in, telling you, this can be different, this can be different because then only yeah. then you can get from other bubble and have a look, right? So I've, I'm coming from the dojo who had the same mentality as yours and I loved it. But, uh, now working with people with mental health and stuff like that, yeah. I found it more beneficial for them yes. uh, to be safe and pushed, but knowing that it's safe. But the outcomes are the same because when uh, people used to go to uh, our dojo, they said, oh, you guys don't don't fear fighting, right? Mm-hmm. And in our dojo, we spar every session and we had the guys from Germany coming and, and the comment was to me, how do you make people have no fear of sparring? I was thinking yeah. about it eh? two ways, right? You either get them used to it, to the fear, or you nurture them in sparring, but uh, normal sparring, so not avoiding sparring. Agreed. And you make them feel comfortable, yeah. so they find that sparring as something enjoyable. So yeah. I, I think I would, we, we've got the same goal, but different ways, in a way. Yeah. Well, and, that, and, and that's back to my point, is that, a different style should be a different of opinion how to get someone to the same place mm-hmm. that's entirely in fitting keeping with my beliefs you know it's about how do you get the, the these people to this point normally a black belt level how mm-hmm. do you get people there and that to go back to what i originally said that depends on what people you've got exactly yeah and um and yeah that if that's what it takes to get your people through then i would absolutely respect that I think I think big difference for me is that I never call it a self defense club. We working for yeah. health. I don't try to um, put myself there as after training you're gonna be 100% able to defend yourself. Yeah, right. This is a problem with with, with some of karate schools who uh, think they do self defense, but they really do sports or something like that. You know? Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem is not being clear about what you're doing. And I know, I think Will Gainsworth, I don't know if he, he talks about having a, a sort of social, he talks about it as social karate, and I think he's found it quite liberating to, to lose mm-hmm. that tag. Um, yeah, I think the biggest problem is not people doing sport or doing this. It's like you said, it's people who are doing sport but don't realise it. Mm. I think that's the biggest problem. And that's down to the instructor not being clear about what they're training for. But that's also understandable because it's a very multifaceted reason why you're training. It usually isn't. I mean, you start for self-defense, but I can teach someone to fight in six weeks. That's not that's not what keeps you going. Um, and then it becomes you you can you probably can't tell me why you still train, and mm-hmm. that in itself uh, helps me. That that's the that that proves it's a, it's an art because you can't talk you can't talk about art. Art is something that you poets and and songwriters can express things that we can. That's what poetry is for, right? They can say things that we can't, but we still feel those things. And the reason you train in karate or martial arts, you don't know anymore. You can't, well, you do know, you just can't express it. That's because it's an art. I do agree with you, 100%. Which <laughs> um, bring, brings us to, you know, uh, mentality and, and self-defense and confidence. Um, what was the impact of martial arts on your mental health? Do you think do there was any or beneficial, negative? That's a good question. I, I think it's difficult for me to say because I, like I said, I've trained longer than I can kind of remember. So there was not this sort of this um, sort of Point. sharp line where I didn't train and then all of a sudden I did and it was amazing. I don't really have that, but I can say that you know we're probably going to talk about the fact you know I have cancer and and I'm in that at the moment. But I can say that the mindset developed through martial arts, I believe. I don't know how to have got through without it. I think it, mm-hmm. I think I find the thought of not having that training quite terrifying um, to face something like this, which isn't a physical threat. It's never where I thought my martial arts were for, mm-hmm. but actually 
this battle has been the the biggest and it's primarily a mental battle mm-hmm. that's by far the biggest and I, and and what i hadn't realized is that my training was preparing me for it i just didn't realize that because ultimately martial arts as we say it's hard to say what they're about but ultimately they're about looking at yourself they're about discovering yourself bettering yourself and and they teach you tools and but the important thing is the vehicle is combat that's our vehicle it's always got to be combat the way we do that is combat the way other people do it maybe playing chess or you know painting i don't know but for us the vehicle to self-discovery is combat so the combat has to be present and it has to be tough it has to be hard otherwise the furnace isn't hot enough but what i didn't realize was those lessons that i've been taught through physicality the 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 ability when you fight to actually kind of it's hard to describe and you sound like a nutcase i know but sit outside yourself and watch like you're outside your body when you fight watching it so you can redirect you can see what's going on and thinking at a slower pace that's ultimately what i was able to use to help me cope with the pain that i had to go through and the sickness and the, it's the ability to sort of compartmentalize and put the pain in one space it didn't always work i'm not maybe not good enough martial artist to do it to the level of pain I, I experienced, but it worked to a great degree. And those were lessons from, from combat. Yeah, I finding, um, I know that people have a really big uh, problem talking about cancer, different in, illnesses and stuff like that. Uh, it was very um, interesting for me starting to work with people with a multitude of disabilities. So let's, can I give me one second, please? Can you get, give me yeah, one second? No problem. Sorry, thank you. Say that again. No. So for, for me, it was interesting uh, working with people with multitude of disabilities from like MS, cancer, um, deafness, and, and what, what comes to my class. Because I never been taught how to talk with people without saying, oh, it's going to be fine. You know, yeah. I, said, I said that before that my first lesson was, um, 10 people coming in and I'm asking, oh, how are you? And each of them said, well, it's shit today. I yeah. feel really bad. And then you kind of took back thinking, now, how do I reply to that, right? Because I was expecting it's all fine. So I, I kind of, um, uh, might sound wrong, but I enjoyed your um, straightforward commentary and uh, you know writing down what's going on with your life. Um, I know I'm not always replying, but I'm reading it. Yeah. And it's re- refreshing to not put the cotton wall, I think that we're saying, wall over it, wall over yeah. it, you know, nice and soft and to not hurt, uh, upset people. You just say how it is and, and it's very re- refreshing. And did you done that on purpose or you just you couldn't be bothered to put it politely? Um, before, I, before I answer that, I would say that I did notice when you first came out, I don't know if it's on the recording or not, you said to me, how are you today? Mm-hmm. that's massively different from how are you yeah because that's the right question because today i'm good tomorrow i don't know yesterday was bad well not to guess about you know the, the question how are you today is exactly the right one for the situation you're talking about and so to get to your question it was a deliberate thing and it came about because when i was diagnosed back in the summer i was immediately ashamed mm-hmm. and embarrassed by it and i know that's not logical but logic and feelings don't go hand in hand. I thought, this is this is me. I'm Gavin Mulholland. This shouldn't happen to people like us, which, of course, is nonsense, because who should it happen to? You know, yeah. it's it's nonsense, and I know it, but nonetheless, it was true. And then I realized, once I had that realization, I realized that the reason I didn't want to talk about it, and the reason I didn't want to talk about it was I was embarrassed by it. And that gave me the utter clarity that that means I'm hiding from it. And I then realized I cannot hide from it and fight it at the mm. same time. Those two things are incompatible. You can't hide and fight. It's one or the other. And the only way I could think to flush it completely into the open was to be completely open with everybody and to go entirely public. Mm. And there were some bits I held back, but mostly not. Um, I, I determined to to say how I was feeling when I was feeling it and, and hopefully help someone else. But I'd be lying if I said that was my primary reason for it i hope it does um people have asked me if it was cathartic it wasn't i just put down how i was feeling and and 
what my experience of going through this has been. Hmm. I think there's um, quite a big parallels with it. And I don't know if that's an upbringing um, or uh, emphasis on men's behavior that we shouldn't talk about things like that. And I think cancer and mental health are both in the same category that, like you said, is shameful, right? You don't say that uh, it's shameful you broke your leg or something. You go, yes, look, my cast. Yeah, right. right? But when you put a mental health issue or cancer, it's like, oh, hush, hush. Or don't say it because, you know, you're going to make people feel bad about it. It's still that stigma, which, you know, people like yourself and and hopefully I feel a little bit me as well, uh, can change that perception of that is shameful that you shouldn't talk about it. We should talk about it because, you know, we can help other people through our experiences and as well um, help uh, researchers and whoever goes because you saying exactly on the day how you're feeling and then they more research and make better adjustments for people with different conditions yeah yeah and this the so the, the idea that men don't talk I, I have a slight issue with it and while i know it's true i have a slight issue with it in that men have always talked we talk in pubs and it's the mm. pubs that have gone that's yeah. to me that's the big problem is our spaces have gone um and and a lot of it started around the, I don't know if you remember, Bob Hoskins and the BT ads in the sort of early 80s, which was about, which was all, you know, men need to talk. And it was actually done by BT. And it was, it was to try to get men to speak more on the phone because yeah. they made more money out of it because women tended to talk to their friends on the phone and men said, what time are you meeting? And that was that. Yeah. So. So it wasn't so that so that kind of fed into that ripped into kind of mainstream society thinking that men don't talk at all and I have a slight issue with it. I know there is issues and and it needs to be brought out. But for example, coming back from battle, many of those men didn't need to talk until they got separated from the other men that mm-hmm. had experienced the same thing. What you needed was to sit with men that had also gone through it. And maybe not talk because you're with people that knew exactly the problem comes when you get separated mm-hmm. out to people that can't understand. And that's not just a matter of sitting down, talking to someone else that can't understand. It's a matter of being with people that have been through it. And that happened in our working men's clubs and the pubs we had around. Mm-hmm. So we've created, I think, I'm not saying that, that, that there isn't a need for mental, but we've created a very toxic environment where there is a kind of almost female model of talking being placed over men because what we're supposed to be is equal but different, right? Not yeah. exactly the same. And, you know, our grandfathers, rightly or wrongly, would have thrown themselves under a train before crying in front of their family, you know, and that's probably going too, too, too far, but there was a reason for it. You know, there's a reason for it because they had responsibility and that responsibility fed into their perception of maleness which could be bad for them, but it could also be good. And I think the, mm-hmm. the perception of maleness now has taken on quite a negative turn. And I think that's leading to a lot of problems. You know, mm-hmm. Pretty much everything that used to be masculine or male is framed negatively now. If you're big and muscular you're on the, in the media, you're deemed to be stupid, you know, you're thick. Mm-hmm. You know, and aggression is now a bad thing, but it's not a bad thing. Aggression is a good thing. But it's framed as if it's a bad thing now, but it's primarily a male trait. Mm. Um, not entirely, of course, nothing is, but a lot of what was male has been framed. I, when I did, my, I did my thesis on the psychological effects of martial arts training, and I looked at three things. I looked at um, state mood. Um, uh, what was it? State mood, um, stress levels, and I started off looking at aggression. And I've fallen into the same trap. And I realized really quickly, actually, the problem is I'm training people to be aggressive. It's not a bad thing, controlled aggression. So I switched that to looking at innate anger levels. Mm-hmm. And, and as, just as an aside, all those things improved through six months martial arts training. But I'd even fall into it sort of framing aggression as if it's bad, but it's not. Anger is a bad, well, uncontrolled anger is a bad thing. But aggression is actually something we train into people. And, and I think one of the problems that's leading to much more mental health is this people don't quite know what may the, the shift of, of what it means the sort of traditional roles i suppose you could say may not be the right ones but people i think struggle to know what is acceptable and what isn't and i think mm-hmm. what you do 
is really helping people to see what those things might be. I was I, I, on the aggression point. I was really uh, listening to what's his name. One of the, I'm, I'm very my memory is very good but very short, so I can't remember names and stuff like that. But um, psychologist was saying that the issue is the suppressing the aggra- aggressiveness because the aggression is our a self protection mechanism to keep us safe. Right? If somebody right. is threatening you, you go aggressive to defend yourself. Right. But now we try to team everybody, team, team it, suppress that. Yeah, 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 like I'm timid, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, you don't get angry and, you know, don't do that. And we started that with children. You know, I, I, I now change because I fell in that trap to my son of you getting angry with his sister. And I said, yeah. oh, don't get angry with her, which I should say, I understand you're angry. Yeah. Let's go and release that anger somewhere. You don't have to beat her up. What do you do with it? It's like it's like the, the internet now is full of people saying that nobody should be offended. You should be offended. Of course, if nobody's offended, you don't do anything. I should absolutely be offended. I'm offended if I see some woman being abused in the street. Of course I'm offended. And I'm going to do something about it because I'm offended. Of course you should be offended. This This concept that you shouldn't feel these things and that somehow I've got a right not to be offended is is absolute nonsense. You know, and if it do something that offends me, I, I then, does that then translate, it was, it's, what happens to that? Does that translate into anger, which it might? Mm-hmm. Or does it translate into me writing a stiff letter to someone or just going and sitting with some girl on the tube so she's not feeling so uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera, and having a word? Or, or how about, do you have a word with the, the guy who's being an ass, or do you say to the girls to come with me? You know, what mm-hmm. do you do? But, but the response is what's important. You should feel anger. These are natural things. I, years ago, qualified as a, as a hypnotherapist. And I disagreed. So I've never worked it professionally because I disagreed fundamentally with it. We were talking about, with the professors, talking about repressions, you know, when you repress something. And um, they said, well, everyone's got them. And I said, my argument there was, well, if everyone's got them, so if only a few people have them, it sounds like something's, you know, some wiring's gone wrong and maybe we should go in and try and fix it. But if you're saying everyone's got it, then it's a natural coping mechanism and we should probably leave it alone. Mm. You know, which one is it? If everybody has it, then it's naturally probably there for a good reason. But if only a few people get it, something's probably gone wrong. Um, so it all comes down to what you do with those things. You know, do aggressive people become violent? Some do, most don't. Yeah, I think I think that's bring us nicely to the internet realm and people, you know, just being aggressive for sake of being aggressive. I find sometimes uh, they they looking for ways to release that aggression through typing because it's so safe. You yeah, know? and I know you, I know you put a lot of stuff up, and and I admire for that because I won't put anything on. In fact, we banned, you know, filming of the 30 Man is banned. Mm-hmm. Don't put anything up because I just know what's going to happen. You know, what you're going to end up is fight 27, some completely exhausted bloke getting beaten up and flailing around. It's not going to look good. Mm-hmm. But when you see, and that's you, the other thing you'll never see is me or any of DKK putting, putting clips of rubbish martial arts out and slagging it off or laughing at it. You'll never see that. It's the complete ban because... No matter how, it's not that I don't think it's rubbish. I can see it's rubbish, but you don't know the context. You know, you don't know, we don't know the context. We don't know if they're even saying, look at, you know, just messing around or this is how it's not to be done or this is just a drill to get that shoulder down. You don't know what they're doing. So just, you know, my thing is to anyone that criticizes, and I'll say this because I know you're getting some because you've courage, you've got enough courage to put stuff up there. But the only real criticism is, okay, post it yourself then. If I'm doing it wrong, film yourself doing it and show me otherwise shut up they never do (laughs) no they won't because there's nonsense but otherwise just just shut up so so i i do get what you mean and i sort of appreciate your you've got courage in in just facing that but i'm sure i can see i can hear that it wearies you from time to time uh sometimes yeah but it's much less so i I took it i started doing it as a challenge right uh, one things which sets up my um anxiety huge is a judgment, fear of judgment. I've always been right. aware of what people think. So I thought the only way to combat this is like inspiring. Perfect. Yeah. Get into it. So, so I do it and, and now it rarely gets me. If I post, you know, the problem is my English is not perfect. So 
usually you see better that. than my Polish. <laughs> I heard that every time. Um, yeah. You often see that after a couple of hours, I edit my um, comment. Right. Because my wife looked at it and said, mm, you're looking for a fight. You don't want to do it. I said, no, I didn't mean that. Right. I just wrote it in my version of polite English. Yeah. And then I have to correct it, you know, like about the Shotokan. I didn't meant Shotokan. I meant all the martial artists, but it came up Shotokan. But hey, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I, so I, by exposure, I'm getting thick skin. Mm. So it doesn't yeah. bother me that much. Good. And to be honest, being a content creator, um, it means that gives me a topics to talk, engaging posts, um, especially yeah. Really crit criticizing me, I can kind of deconstruct it and and try it, but you know, by but because of that, the nice conversation come up with people like yourself, right? Right. Because then then you look at it and you say, oh, actually, I don't agree with this and this, and then I can think about my thinking process and change things. Yeah, right. And and I said at the start, again, probably not on tape, but um, you know, I, I kind of feel like I know you already, and we've never met. Yeah. You know, so yeah. the, the social media stuff is, is really good if it's used correctly. Really good. Yeah. Well, it's just, you know, you just have to don't take it personally. It's it's somebody's frustration, not yours. Yeah, right. So that's the difficult bit, though, is not taking it personally. But um, you're facing, you know, you say you're facing a fear. That's, that's absolutely fantastic. I said to me, that's fundamental of a martial arts, is facing your fears, whatever they might uh, be. What's, uh, what's in the future for you? Except the fighting big C, you had some good news so far. So I'm hoping yeah. it's gonna be all good from now on. Not not probably easy and not perfect as it was. But what's what's your uh, mind frame and what's your goals? See, it, it's probably the worst time of my life to ask me that. In that, I generally don't have any. I I have had some good news, and I, I was hesitant to celebrate it. It's the, we've had, I've had the first scan post-treatment and it's looking good, but they, they're not saying it's it's worked until they do that again in a few months' time. Um, that's when... Um, he's still there. There's the pictures frozen. I don't know if you're still there or not. I suspect not. We back. Sorry, I lost you there. Yeah, for some yeah, I thought so. I, I was just saying. So, so I have had some good news. I had the first post-treatment scan, and it was positive. But they're saying, you know, it's not, it's not definite that it's worked. They'll need to do that again to say yes or no. Um, but I realised I was being a little bit overly cautious, and I should celebrate the good news. Definitely. However, I'm really genuinely not looking forward. I'm not. I'm not. I, I during the treatment there were, which was six weeks of daily radiotherapy and chemotherapy every day. And it was brutal beyond description, beyond I was able to write. Um, but the thing that terrified me was on day five when I looked up at how far I had to go. And it was terrifying. It's one of the really shaky days. So I really did move in then to day to day, move in day to day. The day before New Year's Eve, someone said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. We'll see tomorrow. And I'm still in that space where I'm really not looking forward so i don't know what the future holds for me I've, it's hopefully brighter than it has been but i'm really just not looking that far but even when i wasn't going through this when people would say to me where do you see yourself in five years time uh, even then i would be saying i don't think like that and i don't have plans i take what comes and and hopefully make the best of it uh, looking looking for uh, positives again i'm not sure if it's the right question but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, do you feel that you live your life now from day to day to the fullest compared to before cancer? No, not at the moment. I don't. I, I There are things like the whole Christmas thing. I, I, I felt this Christmas like I... I sort of sat on the outside looking in. Even at our karate Christmas do, I felt we went bowling and stuff. I felt I was sort of watching everyone else, which is fair enough. But it was it was too prone because I'm just too exhausted to, to have the chaos of Christmas and everyone around eating and all that. And on the other hand, I wanted to see everyone more than ever because I appreciate them more than ever. I've definitely seen a different side to people 
you know, I said all I've ever done in my whole life is just punch and kick people and be mean to mm -hmm. people, and all I've got back was love, and it's just been incredible. And I have to hold myself to a higher standard when I get through this. Um, I've, people have shown me such kindness. It's it's beyond it is beyond anything I deserve, and and it's just been incredible. And I need to try and my view of a martial artist has changed slightly from you know someone tough as nails but heart of gold and, and you know generous spirit. And I need to work on those those last two. I really do because I'm good with people I know. I'm good with my friends. I'm loyal and I'm trustworthy and I'm good with them. But what I got was people doing that that didn't know me that well. And I have to expand that. Anyway, and I've realized anyone can be nice to your friends, right? Anyone, that's mm -hmm. not, anyone can do that. To be, to, to help someone who's in trouble that you don't know that well, that's the standard I need to hold myself to because that's what I've been shown. So yeah. I wouldn't say I'm living my life to the full at the moment, but I have also realized, you know, at some point I've got to go back to work, but I've absolutely realized that I will not be missing anything again. If, if, if we're coming to play at a festival or even go to a festival, if I've, got, if I've got the chance to spend three days in a field with my brothers, drinking, listening to music and getting up to mischief, then that's where I'm going to be. And if it's not my weekend off, I will resign. Genuinely, mm -hmm. I will say, I'm good. you can have my resignation or I'll see you Monday, but I'm not missing those things anymore. If I can get there, that's where I'll be. It was really heartwarming to see the response you got from people all over the world, um, and puts puts the you know we we talk all the time about negatives on on online and stuff like we that. We do. But the response it was just um, amazing, warmth and uh, you know decency and you know people from all over the place, and just it was it was incredible, and it's a source of pride to me that people have been saying prayers for me in churches, synagogues. Yeah. temples, mosques, stone circle, you know, everyone their own belief system. And, you know, that is a source of pride to me that, that people have done that. And people say to me, you know, I don't know what your beliefs are, but can, I, I want to pray for you. And I say, it doesn't matter what my beliefs are, but thank you, please, please do. And it's slightly annoying, actually, because Goran set up a fund for me, which has been absolutely amazing. And, and I was thinking, you know, if I get 20 quid in there, at least I can get a taxi to hospital. But it ends up with thousands and thousands of pounds in there. And it's been fantastic because it's enabled me to to not worry about money at the time, just focus on my health, to get taxis in and out. But it's slightly annoying because I don't think I can ever be mean to everyone again, anyone again, because they might have chucked a tenner in. You know, They might have done something. They probably did. So I've got to be nice to people now. I think that's a good problem to have. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Utterly incredible. Utterly incredible. Yeah, knowing that you've got a community of supporters behind you, it just makes life um, a bit more comfortable, I guess. You know, someone someone asked me what I had learned through this about the martial arts community, and what I actually learned is that there is one. I never mm. really saw one. The goju is good. Goju is quite tight, but even then, but what I learned that there is one. You know, I felt this army of people closing behind me and support and love and support me not with money you know but not just money with things they could do or gifts they sent just stuff that lifted my day you know just mm. it was it was and is incredible to me and i, I don't understand it and i i've also realized a flaw in myself in that i can handle aggressive men and i can handle violence but what i'm totally terrible at is kindness and I don't know what that is. I, that's what breaks me down. That's what that's what fundamentally broke me was people being kind to me. And mm. that's, there's got to be something wrong with that, right? <laughs> yeah, we do feel that sometimes. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I genuinely believe that the phrase I coined in that the strong and caring people are the pillars of society. And I think the karate and other martial arts do, do that very well. So that, that, that's gone into my new definition. So, so I put something up recently. Is it a combat art or is it a, a martial art, a combat sport or martial art? And, and one of the, the main things for me is, is there anyone in their 80s doing it? And if they're not, it's probably a sport. And I would add that you know, anyone can train when, like I said, anyone can be nice to their family. Anyone can train when you're young, fit, and strong, right? That's what sports people do. Sports people train every bit as hard as us, if not harder, but only while they're young and fit and strong. Martial arts push on beyond that. 
into the thing. So that's going to be interesting. So BJJ, for example, is it a sport or is it a martial art? And I don't know yet. I don't know the answer to that yet. I need to see people in their 70s and 80s training. Yeah, time, time will show. Time and, will tell. And, yeah, what, what the um, condition is there. So far, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of following BJJ uh, stage and, and listening to the guys who are a bit older. And so far, I hear, you know, broken discs and a lot of injuries. So we see how that's going to be. Yeah, yeah we we'll see that pan out. So, you know, a martial arts to me, they push beyond that young, fit and healthy stage. And now they are hard as nails, but heart of gold. That's, that goes into it for me because that's what I got from the senior goju, people like George Andrews and Tony Christian and Kim Roberts and Dave Arnold. What I got was this huge level of support from these very tough guys and just absolute heart of gold. And, and it's, I said to one, you know, why have you done that? He gave me an immense amount of money. I said, why? Well, I don't really know him very well. And he, mm. he puzzled, looked puzzled, he sees, looked puzzled and said, have you got to feed your family? Like, mm. you know, like he didn't understand the question. And I said, well, you need that money. There's no such thing as spent money. He said, I'll, I'll get that back. God will provide or something, he said. Mm. Yeah. That's really nice to have that back up. Yeah, and, and I've, always, I've always had these men that I want, I aspire to be. I want to be this martial artist. I want to be that guy. I want. And now I've added into that through this, I want to be that generous, good heart. And that's never been a part of my martial arts. I won't lie. I won't pretend it has. Mm. But now that's what I want to aspire to. I want to be hard as nails, good heart, generous spirit. That's been added into it. And that's through this this period of time that I've gone through because that's what I've seen in those top guys mm. that I only ever saw as tough guys before. Mm. You can say that it's in every cloud, silver lining, yeah? That's a little bit... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's learning in, in everything. And, you know, I've learned a lot about myself and about, well, a lot of stuff through this, definitely. There's learning in everything. Um, I always said it's not, it used to annoy me when I said, oh, it's a battle. You know, you're battling cancer, you're not battling. And I, and I said, it's not a battle, but I'm slightly wrong. It is a battle, just not the one I thought it was. It's a mental, mm. it's a mental battle to keep focused and keep, Positive, I hate the word. I hate the thought of keeping positive because there's a sort of unreality about it. You know, just kind of not facing what's actually going on. But to, to frame stuff in the right way is important. Mm. It's more like um, overcoming every day as it comes, isn't it? Just to turn up and be there. Because I, I, I listened to your other interview with uh, World of Martial Arts. And you've been yeah. saying about you sitting on a bench and frozen uh, to go into yeah. the hospital. Right. And that you know, it takes immense, immense um, mental power to overcome it and actually, you know, force yourself to do things that even your body knows you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, that's true. That's that, and that's what I was so shocked about that incident. So, just so your listeners here, I was waiting to go into the hospital one day, and I just thought I can't do this anymore, and I got my head straight, got up, went to go, and I couldn't. My body wouldn't move. I was literally scared stiff and couldn't move and that was the weird thing is that i was also arguing with my i was always because i've got my head straight so come on, we've got to go you know we have to go and body wouldn't and to have to see that separation of mind and body was fascinating mm. um one last question because just come up to my mind because i see that we're working with people um with mental health as well and i'm sure that you went through the similar process that when it not touches us, we imagine how we would deal with it, right? How would they right. deal with cancer? I've got that image. It's right. something like with children, right? You know right. how you're going to bring your children, then they come in and it's completely different. Right. Um, so you, you, how to say it? Um, what was your clash with thing that you maybe fought before and now? Very different. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. I, my, one of my brothers died a couple of years ago of cancer when he was very young and he, he kept coming back and he died of it. And actually what I realized when it was my turn was how little I'd thought about it, how little I thought about how I would face it, how little I thought about how he faced it and how little I realized how courageously he faced it. So it's almost the opposite of that. I hadn't felt like I was, Looking back, it feels like you're just skimming over the top of life. And I, I've used the drowning analogy, which I don't know if you saw or not, but 
I yeah, you. absolutely felt like you're on a boat. You know, you've got the same worries as everyone else, and then all of a sudden you're in the ocean, deep, dark, black, and everyone else who's who's sort of trying to help you and, and bless every one of them, but you're the only one in the water. Mm-hmm. And I've never, I had genuinely never really considered it or thought, how would I be dealing with this? Even when I held Mike's hand as, on his deathbed, I hadn't really considered my... My response to it, but when it did, when it was my turn, I just hope and continue to hope that I can face it as bravely and with as much dignity as he did and humour. You know, he was, he was still laughing about stuff as as have I been. You know, um, there is funny stuff in it. There just genuinely is. But I hadn't really thought about how I would deal with this, and that's the striking thing was how little I thought about it. Even having someone so close to me go through it. I think you're doing a great job. Um, seeing how you treat it, how you handle yourself, how you connect with people, I think you're doing great, great job, and there's a humor in it. So I think your oh, brother you. would be, uh, huh. uh, you would be equal. Uh, I think. Huh. I think there is nothing, nothing you can think, think, think low about yourself. Um, well, thank you. I think it will be time to say goodbye, and I will say yes. that I hope that tomorrow will be another great day for you. Thank you, Les. That's that's brilliant, and I, and I host it too. And I'm, I'm, you know, whatever comes, I'll face it when it comes. But I hope so too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. Have a good day. Mm. Are you happy with everything? I'm just.